I'm Josh Porter, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part three in our annual Advent series, The Long Winter Breaks, 2021. A few weeks ago, ABC News uh, ran a story about the Turpin case. Maybe you guys read about this. There's the story of two parents who imprisoned and then horrifically abused their own children, more than a dozen of them, for decades, until in 2018, just a few years ago, one of their teenage daughters escaped, got help, and then all the terrible truth came to light and made international headlines. And this horrible thing is actually an Advent story. If you grew up in or around the church culture, then maybe, like me, the celebratory weeks leading up to December 25th were described as marking the occasion of Jesus' birthday, which we observed on December the 25th. Not with cake or singing a song or anything like that, but we said that it was Jesus' birthday. Baby Jesus, we often called him, which is a weird thing to call someone who's thousands of years old. And we said to ourselves and to one another that baby Jesus was the reason for the season. Very catchy bumper sticker. And maybe we felt this occasional tinge of guilt when deep down we knew that he was peripheral at best. Or maybe for you, Christmas has been less superficial. Baby Jesus is there, sure, but it's about more than a birthday party. We actually have no idea as to the month and date of Jesus' actual birth anyway. And Christmas, many argue, is a resounding celebration of what in theology is called the incarnation, the way John's gospel tells it, God became a person and came to live with us. Peace on earth, a host of angels sang over dirty and terrified shepherds, goodwill to men. And maybe that has meant something to you as much or more than presents and carols and hot cocoa and family get-togethers. But some others of us have known a Christmas that was neither an ostensible birthday party, nor a theological observance, as much as it was a wonderfully sentimental Coca-Cola commercial. When an otherwise awful humanity calls a collective yuletide truce and opts instead for some of that peace on earth those angels were going on about, and we're, if not for a moment, a little bit nicer to each other. And we do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do, like make a donation or two, and we wish a few people happy holidays. Chris Kringle himself describes this arrangement in the 1994 remake of A Miracle on 34th Street when he says that he, as Santa Claus, is a symbol of the human ability to be able to suppress the selfish and hateful tendencies that rule the major part of our lives. And that sounds very nice. And the 1994 remake, if you're wondering, is one of only a handful of Hollywood remakes that is superior to the original. I realize it's probably a controversial thing to say to maybe one or two of you, but I am the pastor of Christmas. So maybe your Christmases were, like mine, nostalgic and cozy, and you drink hot chocolate, and you eat lots of treats, and maybe you kept traditions, and you gathered with loved ones, and you opened presents, and maybe Amy Grant's heavenly voice regaled you, and Kevin's parents forgot him another year, and both Scrooge and the Grinch repent another year, and Buddy the Elf goes on eating that syrupy Pop-Tart pasta for the millionth time, and the Mogwai eat after midnight, and I have known all of these ways to keep Christmas over and over again. But Advent is something different. Advent 
is a sacred season kept by followers of Jesus across many traditions and denominations the world over and for centuries dating all the way back to the early church. But for the uninitiated, Advent often comes across as the Christmas buzzkill, at least at first, because Advent acknowledges each of these traditional ways to keep Christmas, but then presses each of them beneath the surface of things. Jesus was born, baby Jesus. But why, Advent asks, is that any reason to celebrate? God became a human and came to live with us. Okay, but to do what? It sounds incredible, sure, even just put that way. But the surrounding context is less of a sentimental Coca-Cola ad and more of, quite frankly, a horror story. The season is marked by the angelic refrain, 2,000 years old, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Why? Why would that matter? Why is that special? How is that different? And when Advent presses the sentimental or superficial holiday celebration beneath its shimmering red and green surface, when Advent pierces the candy exterior, it finds beneath it all a terrible, terrible darkness. And that's the point. Advent asks us not to turn from this shocking discovery and not to despair it, but to look long and hard into the dark so that we would learn to gather gratefully around the flickering candles of hope. In David Fincher's neo-noir masterpiece, Seven, the film's only line of voiceover is delivered by William Somerset, having witnessed such overwhelming ugly uh, brutality in his career as a homicide detective, Somerset tells the viewer, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. When ABC News ran that profile on the Turpin children a few weeks ago, much of the world discovered or rediscovered the horrors these children endured for years, relieved that they escaped from them in 2018, or at least seemingly so. But rather than feeling warmed, my cynicism gnawed at me the way it often does when I read stories like this one. I thought of the way that all over the world, every single day, there are all kinds of horrors unfolding. The world loves horror stories, real-life horror stories, if they are packaged for safe and tidy consumption via true crime podcasts or Netflix docuseries, where we can observe them from the safety of our comfortable homes. But we don't want the depths of human depravity intruding on our comfort. Not really. And we like stories with quasi-happy endings where the kids escape, but don't remind us that while this is happening, other children are overlooked. While this is happening, other children suffer in the dark who will not be rescued, who will not escape, who will have no 2020 primetime special. Even the Turpin children, after escaping the evil of their parents' home, went on to be abused again in foster care. Like Jesus, who was born into poverty and obscurity, then forced to flee for his life as Herod called for the killing of all firstborn sons. And Jesus waited as a refugee, like we wait, like children wait today, even now, to be rescued from evil. And often, time just runs out. And no one raises money, and no waiting world sends thoughts and prayers, and no one comes to the rescue. Over the years, 
I've read many stories about such things, and it was stories like these that eventually eroded my baseline belief in human goodness, the belief with which I think most of us are sort of born. I wasn't any kind of happy optimist shouting from the rooftops about human goodness or anything, but I think most of us kind of take for granted at least a minimum belief in human decency that we kind of need in order to operate in society. Most people don't go around arguing their belief in human decency, but they demonstrate their need for this belief to endure and their unwillingness to inconvenience themselves with stories of unimaginable horror that unfolds every day of the long calendar year. These stories needle the protective bubble of our comfortable world, and we need the bubble. So if something truly depraved happens, we'd rather not know about it unless it's packaged for our entertainment. I'll spare you the details, but I remember the moment, the specific moment that I relinquished any remaining faith in the goodness of mankind. I was doing research for a book, and my research led me to this incident, a crime, so awful that it shakes the very foundations of belief in a good world with good people and even belief in a good God. And physically shaken, I remember sitting back in my chair and praying, my God, how can you love a world like this? And that is an Advent story. To understand this Advent story, we need to consider the suffering captive child, to paint a picture with that idea. In our Advent metaphor, imagine a child taken by someone bigger and more powerful who used that power to do things evil against the small and the powerless. In our Advent story, the child did not escape, was not desperately pursued by officers, but was hidden away and made to suffer. And yet, in our Advent story, a rescuer came. And the rescuer climbed down into this pit of misery, into the heart of darkness itself, laying down his own life in the process to rescue this child. And in our Advent story, that big and powerful evil person who took that child, they will be made small and powerless when they answer to the girl's rescuer in judgment. Thus, we read in tonight's Advent text just a little while ago, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. In a world with a religious reverence for the individual, that every person is perfect and amazing exactly as they are, and that nothing anyone wants to do or be is ever wrong or mistaken or warped because the individual finds their own truth, and whoever fails to celebrate, celebrate that truth is oppressive. A world like this has no paradigm for judgment. But in the Bible, judgment always comes hand-in-hand hand with redemption, the heart's cry for salvation is simultaneously the prayer for God to judge. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And Advent is a time to acknowledge that things are not as they should be and that we are in need of a judge to condemn and destroy evil for this is how the world is saved. 
In her book on Advent, Fleming Rutledge calls this work a kind of repentance, looking into the darkness. And she says, in Advent, where faith in mankind comes to an end, the message of Christmas begins. Much work has been done in recent memory to erase the anger of God, because God's anger conflicts us squinting at problematic Bible stories with our trauma and parent wounds. We badly want gifted theologians and Bible scholars to somehow sponge these embarrassing passages from their antiquated pages. But I can tell you that on that afternoon when I read about those crimes that undid my baseline belief in human goodness, I felt a number of things. I felt heartbroken. I felt deeply grieved, seized by sadness, And I felt furious. And I mean when I say that it wasn't a rage directed only at the story's victimizer, per se. It was this profound anger against evil itself. And I remember, I imagined how God must feel. Advent is a complicated season because when we answer the call to peer into the horrible dark, to remember, to feel our great need for rescue before we celebrate the rescue. When we do this, we discover that we want to be rescued, yes. We want God to judge evil, yes. But we deserve to be judged. We are both the stolen child and we are the victimizer, the evildoer. And realizing this reveals the great and beautiful twofold scandal of Jesus coming to us to save and to judge. And it was said of him before Mary felt him stirring in her womb, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And in that story, before Jesus was even stirring in the womb, the angel is already looking beyond the nativity, where many Christmas seasons begin and end, and to the future reality of a kingdom that will never end, where evil and death are forever destroyed. Is this good news or bad news? For when this work is completed, when evil is destroyed, we, all of us who traffic in the ways of evil, should be destroyed as well. And yet, sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment And he has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never will you fear any harm. The coming of Jesus reveals what the Bible calls the foolishness of God. That this Messiah whose kingdom will never end arrives not in a royal palace, but amongst livestock and manure. That God himself comes to us not as a bronze warrior fixed to a heavenly chariot of fire, but as, of all things, a human baby unable to lift his own head. This is the God who rescues us from our own evil. The God who turns back the enemy and who takes our punishment away. 
And his good and gracious arms are open to all the horrible rabble of humanity. And many of us have found a home there. And that's why you're here. And that's why I'm here. Coincidentally, in her short story, Revelation, the great Flannery O'Connor wrote about a fictional Mrs. Turpin, a proud, self-righteous, pseudo-spiritual white Southern woman deeply distressed by a vision from God of the redeemed. And in the story, O'Connor writes, she saw the streak as a vast swinging bridge extending upward from the earth through a field of living fire. Upon it, a vast horde of souls were tumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash clean for the first time in their lives. And she goes on to write that Mrs. Turpin saw battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs and bringing up the end of the procession, the tribal people whom she recognized at once as those who, like herself and husband, had always had a little of everything and given wit to use it right. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity accountable as they had always been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior, they alone were on key. Yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces, even their virtues were being burned away. And she lowered hands and gripped the rail of the hog pen, her eyes small but fixed unblinkingly on what lay ahead. In a moment, the vision faded, but she remained where she was. All of us, Self-righteous to self-loathing have been sought out and saved by the God in the manger. Advent is our time to remember our own stories, the story of a broken world and our own brokenness and the brokenness that we have contributed to the broken world before we celebrate the holy night when everything changed. And many will have nothing to do with the open arms of God, and God will, of course, honor their freedom and grant their desire to remain in their evil when evil is destroyed, but evil will be destroyed. And Advent is a season when we consider what it means to be taken captive by evil, what it means to call for help and wait and wait and wait, and the darkness consumes, and hope trails off and dies, and a minute would be agony, but days, weeks, months, years pass, time is running out, and as our blurred vision begins to fade, His arms are around us, and He is coming not only to rescue us, but every person trapped in every dark place, and then He is going to do something about the darkness itself, and the darkness will be no more. Amen. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to Vance City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vance City financially at vancity.church/give.